scripture reading for today is from John's first epistle, the fifth chapter, beginning with the first verse. You can also follow along in your bulletin where it's printed. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the parent loves the child. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey God's commandments. For the love of God is this, that we obey God's commandments. And these commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God conquers the world. And this is the victory that conquers the world, our faith. Who is it that conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one that testifies, for the Spirit is the truth. These are the words for our consideration today. O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be blessed in your sight, our creator, our rock, our redeemer. As Jeff mentioned earlier, I work for the Marin Interfaith Council, and this past week, we had our annual prayer breakfast at which three different faith leaders from three different faith traditions spoke about the Divine Feminine. And our final speaker, Professor Yolanda Norton from San Francisco Theological Seminary, said that we Christians are pretty good at God talk, but not so good at God walk. How about you? Does your God walk match your God talk? That's the question in our text for today. John tells us that until our love embraces all of God's children and moves us to action, we have a lot of God talk, but not God John writes, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the parent loves the child. In loving God the parent, we also love all of God's children. And when we try to divide that love up and include some and exclude others, we lose God love altogether. Perhaps no one writes more eloquently about this God love than the Sufi poets. And one of them named Hafiz offers this reflection. Once there was a group of thieves who stole a rare diamond larger than two goose eggs. Its value could have easily bought 3,000 horses and 3,000 acres of the most fertile land in all of Shiraz. Well, the thieves got drunk that night to celebrate their great haul. But during the course of the evening, the effects of the liquor and their mistrust of each other grew to such an extent they divided the stone into pieces. Of course, then the priceless became lost. Most everyone is lousy at math and does the same thing to God, dissects 
the indivisible one, by thinking, by saying, this is my beloved. He looks like this and acts like that. How could that ignoramus over there really be God? Hafiz reminds us that most of us, most of the time, can be rather lousy at math. We gush about God and love in the abstract, but when God love appears in human form right in front of us, the gush becomes a trickle. We take the priceless, indivisible love and dissect it into who is worthy, who is unworthy, who's in and who's out. Why do we do that? Why would we talk about our love for the divine parent yet exclude, not include, some of God's children? Why would we not see the divine image in each and every person? Perhaps that great sage Lucy, Charlie Brown's nemesis in the Peanuts comic strip, says it best. I love humanity. It's people I can't stand. <laughs> Love's great in theory, right? We get all warm and fuzzy as we talk about God, but then when we have to deal with flawed individual people, it becomes a bit more complicated. We have these warm, fuzzy feelings, but those feelings are the byproduct, not love itself. For love is both a reality and a choice. It's a reality. We're immersed in it. In fact, it's who and what we are. And it's also a choice. Will we live it? To love those specific flawed people requires a heart that is willing to be open, to be challenged, to be expanded, even to be hurt, to be Christ-like. So I moved here from Texas, and the last time that I lived in Texas, I had a spiritual director by the name of Gene Springer. And some of us thought that Gene was actually a little bit psychic. What would happen during a session as you're pouring out your story and rambling on, she would fall into a silence. And then she would look up, and as if going through some sort of divine filing system, she would pause and then come back down with the truth that cut right to the heart of the matter, made everything crystal clear, and opened up your heart to how spirit would do it. She was some sort of divine channel in that way. Well, during that time, 10 years ago now, my mother was diagnosed with cancer. And during those final months, I, along with a dear friend of hers, we were her only caregiver. And during those last final 10 days, as my mother was in the hospital, I was there around the clock with her. And Jean heard about this when she traveled over an hour to come to the hospital, sent me home, and stayed at my mother's bedside all night, holding her hand, listening to her, telling her stories, sharing memories. And Jean had never met my mother before that night. Jean exuded the kind of love that the Apostle John is talking about. It's a love that shows up, a love that makes itself vulnerable, a love that opens, 
he died a couple of weeks ago. And she wrote a final letter to all of us, her friends. And this is a part of that letter that she wrote us. I have wondered why the story of the cross has been so important. As I've stretched left and right for all these IVs and tests, I see that this is what Jesus did. He totally exposed his heart as he stretched wide open. It's one of the most vulnerable stances. That vulnerability helped me see that I could not stand outside of humanity. Love one another as I have loved you. My whole life has been dedicated to knowing love and bringing that love to others, bringing that longing so that others know love, no matter what their darkness, their gifts, or their blessings. It is essential to know how profoundly, how tenderly, how intimately each of us is loved. When we walk the God talk, we are vulnerable and exposed. We put ourselves on the line so that others can experience through us how profoundly, how tenderly, how intimately they are loved. And while this kind of love is not easy, neither is it a burden. John writes, by this we know we love the children of God when we love God and obey God's commandments. For the love of God is this, that we obey God's commandments. And these commandments are not burdensome, for whatever is born of God conquers the world. And what's this commandment of God? Remember back to the last night of Jesus' life at that final supper with his friends, love one another as I have loved you. When people came to Gene, overwhelmed, by what to do, how to respond in this current political situation. She offered them advice from Mark Nepo, who said, we want to love everybody, but we cannot do that. So we love the one who is weakest. Love the one who is weakest. My partner and I had a chance to practice this not too long ago. So we heard about a pet rescue fair in Alameda in which multiple rescue foundations were bringing animals in need of adoption. And our sweet older dog, Flash, an Airedale Terrier had died. And our other dog, Cowboy, seemed lonely, listless, kind of devoid of purpose and energy, just kind of meandering around the house. And we decided it was time to get him a new friend. We went to the pet rescue. And what we encountered in Alameda was nothing short of overwhelming. Dozens of rescue foundations brought hundreds of animals, many of which had been evacuated from the floods in Houston. And over 50,000 people showed up. It was a hectic nightmare, <laughs> both for people and for animals. In the middle of one cavernous hall, was a table next to which was a small dog cowering behind a gate. His name was Benny. 
we took Bennett for a walk. Now, the way it worked at this big pet fair is you could put a hold on an animal for an hour while you walked around to see who else was available. It's kind of like a strange dating app or something like that. <laughs> so we were told that Benny had two people who already had a hold on him, but they were both iffy about Benny. One said that he seemed a little too big than what they were looking for, and the other was concerned that he might not be a snuggler. So an hour later, we returned to find Benny still there. But the woman running the shelter wanted to give the others more time to make up their minds. My partner, in his usual straightforward fashion, said to her, Look, you have two gay men here who have a well-loved fox terrier at home, along with four cats that are also well-loved and cared for. These other people have had more than an hour to decide whether or not they want to love him. We're here. We'll love him. And we are taking him home. So now we have a dog named Benny. And yes, he's a snuggler. We could not rescue all of those animals. The need before us was overwhelming. What we could do was love the one before us. And how did Jesus love the ones before him? He welcomed them as they were, yet called them to evolve. He laughed and cried with them. He forgave. He included. He challenged the unjust systems that oppressed them. And he also took breaks. He went off to pray in isolation. He rested. He partied. He let others join him in the work and didn't do it all himself. He had followers, disciples. Jesus was not trying to fill some void in his own soul by giving, 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 and giving. Love is heavy when it comes from a place of obligation or a compulsive need to care for others in order to fill a hole inside. Christ's love comes from a fullness of love within that reaches out to the other. And in that exchange, love is also received and returned as an ongoing cycle of renewal happens. It's because there's no grasping or striving to fill a neurotic need. Love flows freely without burden. Yes, it's a choice. And it is often work to love the one before us, but it's not heavy. There's no sense of over-responsibility. Instead, we take a step toward the one before us. We act. We listen. Recently, our Interfaith Council also had a retreat day. And one of the facilitators, uh, Dr. Wendy Farley, who some of you know, joined together with a Zen Buddhist and led us in a day on compassion. And the day concluded by us constructing our own slogan or mantra to take forward with us. And this is the one that I wrote at the end of our retreat day. I show up with an open, healthy heart, not knowing what should or will be done. That's enough. 
what might your slogan be? John concludes our passage for today with a very odd verse. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with water and blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, for the Spirit is the truth. What in the world is John talking about? Baptism, Jesus' death on the cross where he was pierced and water and blood flowed out. Theologians have debated and made money off of this question for ages. So I consulted one of my most prominent theologians today. I picked up my phone and asked Siri, but she didn't know either. <laughs> but if we use our God-given imagination, these symbols tell us something about the nature of life. Water, the waters of the womb from which we come, the very essence of which we are made. Continued renewal the waters of life. Blood, the symbol of sacrifice, giving so another can thrive. Love puts skin into the game of life. Spirit, a presence confirming that God love is working within and through us, constantly renewing us so that the work of love remains light. Water, blood, spirit, Christ's love is all three. You see, when love is just a pious spiritual sentiment, it lacks water and blood. It never incarnates. It never becomes tangible. never transforms. It's all talk and no water. But when love lacks spirit, when there's no peace, only endless attempts to save the world ourselves, we become exhausted. And broken. True love is infinite and expresses itself in finite ways as we love the one before us. And gradually, we wake up to realize just how lousy we've been at math. There is only one God and one love indivisible, which is our truest essence. This is Spirit's liberating truth, that we not only have all the love that we need, we are all the love we need. I'll leave you with a few words about this priceless treasure. Closer to self than a lover, I find infinite intimacy with you. The yearning for which I once sought to fill by drawing others inside, or sought to deaden with compulsive behavior and achievement, never having let go into the beloved within my own heartbeat. 
no longer grasping for love, love has found itself and lives from the inside.